Welcome to New Destiny Christian Center's Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Teresa Verdecchio. If you want to find more information about our ministry, please visit us online at www.newdestinychristiancenter.com. So good to be here on this Good Friday. I trust you feel the presence of God in your houses just as he is here. Amen. What a time we're living in, but I thank God that Jesus is on the throne. And so uh, the Sunday was, was what began what is commonly known as the Holy Week. It's when we celebrate and kind of look back and reflect on what happened. And Pastor talked about Palm Sunday, how they were uh, worshiping Jesus, Hosanna, 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 as he was uh, going down uh, from the Mount of Olives into the, to the city of Jerusalem, and they were giving him praise. And so uh, what happened in just a few short days to where they started crying, crucify him, crucify him. And uh, we're, so we're just going to continue on that. As I was just with you on uh, Wednesday night, we talked about the Passover, and we served the Lord's Supper, and I got just some excellent reports uh, on that, how the presence of God was in your homes and different things going on. But tonight we're going to look at Good Friday. And I want to give you a little bit of history. You know, uh, many of us, I think a group of, I want to say 25 or so went to Israel. We were blessed to do so just a few months ago. And um, it really makes scripture come alive. And uh, just was so honored and blessed to do that. But there were a couple things that stood out to me when I was in Israel. And I remember making a note to myself and said on uh, Good Friday, I am going to uh, just share a little bit of this because I love when the Word of God comes alive. This morning, um, as I got up, I went to my prayer room and was just reflecting on what Jesus did for me. And I want to take a look at the cross, and it is my heart tonight that I would be able to communicate to you why the cross is my friend, why every day I live uh, uh, in the in the shadow of the cross that I do my utmost to cling to that old rugged cross. And, uh, you know, we know that Jesus rose from the dead and pastor's going to be preaching on resurrection Sunday about that. But if you notice in scripture, we're always told to remember the cross to, to, uh, yes, we understand we live in resurrection. We understand we live in victory, but we're called to pick up our cross. We're called to crucify our flesh on the cross. We're called to be crucified with Christ. We're called to die to the world and, 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 uh, to be crucified to the world and to be crucified with Christ because in that crucifixion is the life. And so though the, uh, the impetus of the gospel is the resurrection, we never leave the cross. We can never leave the shadow of the cross. And tonight I'm hoping that the Holy Ghost will help me to communicate to you just what happened at the cross because when we have that correct and we understand it, I believe that the sin struggle kind of dissipates that we understand why Romans 6 says sin has no dominion. And so just uh, uh, just some quick history. Uh, I got this from Bill Whidden, who is our tour guide. And um, every time I wash my hands now, think, uh, thanks to Anne Marie and to Bill, I sing, um, I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, because she's right, it was a flat 20 seconds. And that's better than the ABCs and the birthday song. And so uh, Bill is just uh, somebody who loves the redemption story. We also had an excellent, excellent um, tour guide, uh, Charlie, and uh, just 
very rich in their history and everything that they know about uh, Israel. And so some of the notes that I am taking tonight will be uh, Bill Whitten's notes uh, because there was something that he taught there in Israel. He kind of highlighted, and it was the, when Jesus uh, went to the house of Caiaphas. We know that uh, I'm just going to go real quickly through kind of like the last, um, you know, the last few days in the life of Christ. Um, but speaking of Ca- the house of Caiaphas, there were, there's, uh, when we were there, there were these steps that led up to Caiaphas' house. And Caiaphas was the high priest. If you remember, I believe it's in the Gospel of John, when they were all talking, what are we going to do with Jesus? There are all these miracles. Things were taking place. They were losing the crowd to Jesus because he was doing things like spitting in mud and putting it on a man who couldn't see on his eyes and his blind eyes were open. Uh, John 9, if you love a little bit of sarcasm, my favorite, favorite chapter in the Bible, this blind man who received his sight and just the, it's, it's probably one of my favorite chapters just because of the interaction. Um, it resulted in him being excommunicated from the synagogue, but it didn't matter because he saw Jesus. He saw the son of the living God and who he was and, and was touched by Jesus. But they were, you know, losing the crowd because not only does the blind man see, and this happens on the Sabbath, uh, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And, and so in the midst of all this, when they're trying to figure out and they're plotting to kill Jesus, even though they're not really supposed to do it because the law forbade them to do it, they were doing it anyway. Caiaphas begins to speak and he basically says, hey, it's good if one man die for the whole nation. He did not speak on his own. It says in the Gospel of John that, that he was prophesying because he was the high priest, and so he was prophesying. And so we have it that, that Jesus' whole purpose, and Jesus even said that, for this reason I was born. So Jesus knew the whole time he was going to go to the cross. And so when you're there in, in Israel, they, they showed us these steps that go up to Caiaphas, and they said, Scripture proves that we know that the Lord Jesus walked those steps twice. Of course, they have it blocked off because of the uh, hundreds of thousands of tourists. Millions actually go there a year, and we're hoping that happens again in Jesus' name. But they would wear it, wear it down so you couldn't see it, so obviously it's, it's blocked off. But you sit there and you look at the steps. And you're like, wow, the, the, the steps of the, the feet of Jesus were on these steps. It's the same thing with um, the one step that they have in the synagogue in Capernaum. You know, I put my foot there because Jesus' foot was there. And we all have pictures of our foot where the Lord stepped. Now, I think he's really wanting us to, you know, walk in his steps, his example. But, you know, it is kind of cool when your physical foot is on the physical location where the physical foot of the Son of God was at. And so I was looking at these steps, and it's, it's kind of right outside of the courthouse where Jesus uh, walked gazes with Peter when that uh, rooster crowed, and he had denied him three times. And they had that interchange, and Peter couldn't stand what he just did, and he went out and he wept bitterly. And so this is all kind of in the same location. So it's a very special spot. Because we know that Jesus walked there, uh, walked those steps. He came down from the upper room after they had the Passover around to the Mount of Olives. That's where the Bible says that they sang a hymn. He came down, he prayed in the garden. And that's where, uh, you know, I love the scripture. He was wanting his friends to pray with them, but they kept falling asleep. He was asking his disciples, could you not tarry one hour? And they were just so sleepy. But the Bible says, and so Jesus went a little further. And that's where you see the humanity of Jesus struggling with the will of God the Father. Because Jesus knew the whole time he was going to come and give his life, but his humanity showed up. And even as we're there and you see what they believe is that that, that rock uh, there in Gethsemane in that garden, where uh, he was praying in such agony and anguish of soul that, that his sweat turned into to drops of blood. And that when he would try to wake him up to pray, he... 
they, they were just so sleepy and he would just go and the Bible says, and he went a little further and he went a little further. And the distance that Jesus went for you and I is profound, but it also shows us that each man dies alone. And Jesus was dying a, a death to his flesh. He was saying, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not what I will, but what your will is. And he shows us an example of dying to uh, what we want to have the will of God in our life. So when they uh, were in that garden where he had, he had settled it, he was going to do the purpose for which he was born, the reason he came to the earth, uh, that is where he was arrested. And they brought him back up those steps that, that I got to see and many of us got to see to Caiaphas' house. He was brought back there to that high priest's house. And that's where they tried him before the Sanhedrin, which was the Supreme Court of the Jews. Okay, and this is where they put him in the pit. And I'm going to focus on this tonight uh, because this is a, a, a neglected part of the gospel that I didn't know until the first time I went to Israel. And it became even more intense on my second, second time there. Uh, they put him in the pit and he was taken out of there and taken to the Antonio Fortress. That is where he appeared to uh, Pilate and they took him from Pilate. They took him to Herod and they took him back to Pontius Pilate. And as I was reading the gospel of John this morning, uh, it was fascinating because it said, and during this time, Herod and Pilate became friends because up to that point, they were enemies. And I was like, isn't that just like Jesus? That in the midst of, on his way to go die to redeem man, he was already reconciling people. I just, I just thought that was uh, pretty cool when I read that this morning. But it says that uh, it was there that uh, he was condemned. And, that, and from there we know that uh, he walked the Via Della Rosa, which means the way of the cross on the way to Calvary. And many of us uh, saw that place, Golgotha, the place of the skull, uh, where he was crucified. And it kind of puts, all that stuff kind of puts all that together in the life of Christ and so this is where I want to kind of start off tonight. I just wanted to give you a quick history. Sometimes when you're reading your Bible, it's hard to put that timeline together. But uh, that was kind of uh, right after Passover, so a lot has happened since Wednesday, okay? All this has taken place. But the thing when I was in Israel, uh, like I said, I've been in church uh, for 45 years or so. And I have to tell you that I didn't really know much about the pit. I knew that one of my favorite scriptures was Psalm 103, 4, where it says, you redeem my life from the pit. I, I understand just from my own experience in my life what it's been like to be in a pit, whether that's emotionally, uh, mentally, with oppression and different kinds of things. And so I was always kind of drawn toward those scriptures. But uh, Psalm uh, 88, 1 through 18, I just want to give you that for those of you that are taking notes. That does talk about the pit. And it's uh, prophesying even that Christ would be there. But the pit was nearly always equivalent to death. Most people did not survive the pit experience. The psalmist makes reference to it in Psalm 143.7. It says, Hear me speedily, O Lord, my spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like them that go down into the pit. See, under Caesar, they had the pit. And they had the flogging. And the cross for justice and punishment. Jeremiah the prophet was in the pit in Jerusalem, and the dung and manure was up to his armpits, and he was blistered. The pit was the first stage of a Roman execution. 
And if you know anything about the Roman execution, I remember when we were there in Israel, Charlie began to talk about how the Romans had the reputation to be the cruelest of, uh, of all of, of society and how they punished their criminals. They were horribly cruel. Uh, it was the, the, the flagation, the, uh, the whipping, the beating, all these things. But before they even got to this, uh, there was the pit and under Caesar, this was one of the things that they, that they would do. They would, they would throw them into a pit and they said it would make any man honest because they'd begin to cry out for mercy. But the Roman executioner would yell down asking them to tell the truth and to confess what they, that they had done. And that those criminals would confess it because they wanted to get out of the pit. See, Jesus didn't have to tell the truth because John 14, 6 tells us that Jesus is truth. He couldn't say anything to bring himself out of the pit. Just like when he was before Herod and Pilate, he didn't say anything. And, and he's astounded. He says, do you not realize that I have the authority to put you to death? And then Jesus looked at him and finally said, you only have authority that heaven gives you. <laughs> you only have authority that comes from above. Why did Jesus not open his mouth against his accusers? I believe it's so we could open our mouth against the enemy and rebuke him in his mighty name. Because, see, Jesus had to take it all in order to give us all the victory. Now, when we were there in, uh, in Jerusalem, we went down, we, we go into this building, and we're, you're just descending all these stairs, and you're, and you're going, and the stairs get more and more narrow. And you all end up, your crowd, in this pit and you're kind of like shoved in there. If you have a problem with tight spaces and crowds, this is not your place. But we all shoved in there and we made it, you know, there's some on the steps. But then Charlie's like, friends, 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 come down, come down. <laughs> and so everyone's down and you're just kind of there. And I remember Pastor Rena was here beside me and I was here and uh, uh, Jeanette was there, I mean, we're just all crammed in this space because they want you to get the feeling of a very tight space. Now, you have to understand, when we're there in that pit, and it's very long descent, uh, it, that's been sandblasted. Uh, there's stairs, and there's a window. But you have to understand that when they threw Jesus in the pit, it was just the dark, dark earth. And they would talk, he talked about how they would let the criminals down in a rope. And it's a very, very long descent. And I'm sitting there, and in that moment in the pit, because I'm looking up, and there's a, a hole that you can see up. And I was sitting there thinking, okay, could you imagine being in the earth, nothing but earth around you? The darkness is so black, you cannot see it. My father was a coal miner, and he talks about how deep it is in the mountains. It's like an, a darkness that can make you go insane. He said for the fun of it, he would turn his light out just to see how dark it was. I mean, you, you guys know dad, right? Uh, so I, I could see myself doing that, but not for very long. He said, it's so pitch black, you can't even see. And I was thinking about it, and he talked about how they would begin to hoist the criminal up. And in a moment, and I had a vision, and I saw like the ropes under the armpits as it was being described, how they would hoist them up from the pit because they couldn't last very long in there. If they left Jesus in there for too long, he would actually die. In fact, many, many people didn't survive the pit. They would go insane. They would, they would flip out because of all the claustrophobia, the craziness, the, uh, just the trap, the earth coming in on you. It's a horrible, ungodly experience. And when they were hoisting Jesus up, uh, this was the vision that I got really quick. It was like a flash in my spirit. 
and the ropes were around him. It was like all of a sudden I had this sensation. I could feel like burning rope as they were just bringing him up and, and his body hitting uh, everything. And I just began to weep because the suffering of what he went through. It was like the, the curtain was pulled back, and I saw another phase. And I remember the times that I would be in a pit of despair and depression or, or something so deep because even though people are around us, there's some things in life that, that only we can go through. We can, be, we can have people around us, but the only way out is through. And, and, and it just revealed a level of suffering. And I, I just began to weep. People around me were weeping. Everybody was having their own experience. It was uh, the presence of Jesus was so real. And at that point, uh, Pastor Arena led us in the song. And it was, I believe it was, a, I don't know, Amazing Grace or something. I can't even remember. But um, it was just so profound, the presence of God that was there in that pit. Next, they, after they pulled him out of the pit, Jesus had to go and, and be flogged. The Romans were cruel. It was a leather whip made with metal and bone in it. And by the Roman law, it was 39 stripes. 39 stripes was equivalent to death. And by his stripes, we are healed, is what the Bible says. And Isaiah and then Peter also quoted Isaiah the prophet. And it's interesting to me that every sickness on the earth is categorized. There's 39 categories of all sickness that falls under and Jesus took 39 stripes, and by his stripes, we were healed. And after they did this, in fact, most people, a lot of people didn't even make it through the flogging of, of the, uh, the Romans because it was so cruel and it was so brutal. In fact, I would encourage you between now and Sunday, if you haven't already, to watch The Passion of the Christ. It's probably uh, a very close depiction of what he went through, the cruelty. It's hard to get through. But keep in mind the whole time, he did it for you and he did it for me. So after they did this, this is when he began his journey to the cross. When Roman Caesar wanted to kill a man and make him suffer a slow dying death, they were told to nail him to the cross. And to nail him in the extremities farthest from his heart, that's his wrists and his feet, because then you can still ask questions, you can still get the answers that you're trying to, trying to pull from him. So on the cross, they would, they would ask questions. And on the cross, it's a horrible way to die because you're literally suffocating and you're trying to get breath, and so you're slowly dying. So he died on the cross for each of us, and he was in the pit for each of us. And I think that sometimes in Christianity, especially in the West, and I'm not trying to be a critic, I'm just trying to, to bring light to something, I believe that we're so wanting to give people the gift of salvation, we don't help people realize that they're lost. We try to get them found when they don't even realize they're lost. We try to get them all the blessings of being a son and daughter of God and inheritance and identity, and they haven't even figured out that they're a sinner and they offend a holy God. I'm going to just pause a moment and let that sit. You got to get people lost before you can get them found. And if we do not pause and if we do not really understand the cross and the suffering it took to redeem us, to cause us to truly have a born-again experience, not a church experience, not I came to church and I shook the preacher's hand, not that kind of experience. I'm talking about a born-again experience where you literally went from spiritual death to life, where you changed fathers from the devil being your father, like Jesus said in John 8, to God being your father, because like he told Nicodemus in John 3, 
a man must be born again. There has to be a born-again experience. And people cannot get born again if they do not even first realize that they're spiritually dead. See, he died on the cross for us, and he was in the pit for each of us. But if we do not ponder his suffering, it's so easy to almost dismiss it. And we won't view sin in the correct way, and we'll just be almost flippant about it. But see, this pit is a type of our situation in sin. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In fact, that same book says that there is no one righteous, no, not one, that we're all sinners. If you understand the, the, the history of mankind, we fell in the garden in Genesis 3. Adam committed great tre- uh, treason, and that is when he sold us into sin, when they did not obey God and they decided to sin. And I know it's easy to get into the third chapter of the Bible and to go, okay, wow, that didn't last long. God created man. Man fell, kicked him out of the garden. No, I believe it was a span of time. Because when you look and you read what it's saying, God would come down and he would walk with Adam in the cool of the evening. They would enjoy the garden. They had a fellowship. They knew the voice of God because when they fell, they knew to hide from God in their shame and their secrecy. They gave over intimacy and relationship. And through their disobedience, the Bible says that, they made, that made, he made all mankind sinners. But then it says, but through the second Adam, Jesus, and his obedience, he made a way for all men to become righteous. See, we've all sinned. We all came into this world uh, sin-cursed, and we must be born again. And God would not leave us in that condition, but he went ahead and made a plan of salvation. In fact, Scripture says even before the foundation of the earth, this plan was laid out to redeem you and I. But when I think about the pits, I think about how it's a picture of everything that I deserved. Because I deserve the pit. I deserve the, 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 uh, the, 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 the flogging and to stand on that block and to be flogged. I deserve the cross. I deserve the wrath of God poured out on me of the terrors of the judgment day. I deserve the fires of hell. And so did you. We couldn't get out of it. We were, we were damned. We were doomed for the simple fact that we were born sinners. See, if you think about that long enough, that you needed rescue, that you literally were on the slave block, you were sold into sin. So my question tonight is, have you really considered the cross and what was done at Calvary? I know we want to skip ahead and get to the resurrection and identity and inheritance and all these good things. But I think we fumble those things if we don't really understand why we have those things. Everything Jesus experienced before the cross, the betrayal, being falsely accused, mocked and beaten. They were mocking the very fact that he was a prophet. They would blindfold him and take a staff and bash him on the head and say, prophesy Christ, who hit you? They would spit upon him. They would take his beard and they would, they would pull it out of his face. He understood the shame and the humiliation. I think about the crown of thorns. I remember one time reading my Bible and, and it came across where it says that they, they took crown of thorns and they, 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 made a, they actually made a crown out of the thorns and they shoved it on his head and he began to bleed from his brow. 
And the Holy Spirit spoke to me with revelation. And, and it was as if I heard Jesus because I would struggle with so much mental oppression and such an, a mental assault upon my mind and my thought life. And, and just it was just internal pain on the inside. I, I, I can't explain it. But those of you that struggle with oppression and depression, you understand what I'm saying. And the revelation that Jesus bled from his brow so that I could be free in my mind was transformative in my own walk. And when I was in uh, Israel, when they were showing us the, the tree that have the thorns, everyone was buying souvenirs, and I talked to my friend Vera because she knew Arabic. And I'm like, hey, ask him to cut me some of that off. I slipped him some money, and I got this out of the country. This has dried out a little bit because I've been home from Israel for some months. It's still sharp, though. But when I got this thing, it was razor sharp. It was actually dangerous, like it would cut you. It was unbelievable how sharp it was, and to think that they pierced him. Hopefully, uh, Lisa can zoom in on there and get a picture of that. They put that in his head, and they were mocking him. He bled from his brow. Why? They're saying, hell, king of the Jews. He knew he was the king, the king of glory. And he, was, he died before he went to the cross. He died to vindication. You know, he could have just called the legion of angels. They're mocking him as a king. He could have showed him right then and there. But love compelled him to go to the cross to redeem you and I. Because if Jesus would have failed at any point in the journey, that was it for us. We would be lost. We would be undone. Now, Romans 3.20 3 through 25, verse 23, everyone probably knows by memory. It says, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But 24 and 25, I want to focus on as I get ready to wind this up. Verse 25 says, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Propitiation, it's a fancy word, but to be honest with you, it's probably my most favorite word in the Bible. Not because it sounds cool and I know how to spell it, but it's because of what it means. See, propitiation is an action meant to regain someone's favor and make up for something that was done wrong, that you did wrong. Have you ever made mistake and you wanted to get back in favor and you want to make up for what you did wrong. Like there's forgiveness, but you wanted to make restitution. All right. This idea of propitiation, it is actually a Latin verb, uh, propitiare, which means to appease. If you're doing something in propitiation, your basic goal is to regain favor. And so God, the father had Jesus become the propitiation Jesus took our punishment. Why did he take our punishment? Here's where we get off. We think that Jesus came to save us from our sins, and he did, but to save us from the devil. Not true. It's just if we don't get saved, we get to hang out with the devil in hell for all eternity. Now, people can mock that because they don't believe in a literal hell anymore. I was astounded at a study that I read that said Christians don't believe in a literal hell. I was like, oh, okay, well, I'll keep my opinion in myself, but you might, um, might mistakenly be there. Jesus didn't come to save us from the devil. 
I'm just let that sit in. False doctrine. What is she saying? Jesus came to save us from God. Jesus came to save us from a holy, just God. The God who saves you is the God you need saved from. That's what the cross is all about. That's what propitiation and Jesus as the sacrifice and the substitute for you and I is all about. It's not about getting saved from the devil. Jesus defeated the devil. The devil was trying to stop him from redemption because the devil knew that if the holiness and the wrath and the justice of God was satisfied, then man could come again. See, God's wrath was poured out on Jesus as the sacrifice, as our substitute, because the wrath of God would have been poured out on us. You don't believe me? Check out Ephesians where it talks about the day is coming when the wrath of God will be poured out upon the sons of disobedience. Check out Bible prophecy when God pours his wrath out on that great and terrible day of the Lord. People, now is the time to get under Jesus who saves us from the wrath of God that is to come. We're in a dispensation of grace. God literally poured out his wrath to save us. Jesus came with a purpose. Jesus not only died for us, But he died for God, the Father, to satisfy his holy, just, righteous nature. See, the work of the cross manward is redemption. But the work of the cross Godward is propitiation. It's God's satisfaction. His wrath was poured out on sin, and it wasn't until the wrath of God was satisfied to the point that Jesus cried out. One of his last things he said was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And God turned his back on his son. Jesus had never been separated from God the Father. He had to turn his back. Jesus like, why? Why have you forsaken me? And the justice of God, because you became Teresa, because you became Kendall, because you became Jeanette, because you became Curtis, because you became Mary Beth, because you became Frankie. I have to judge and I have to punish you, Jesus, and pour my wrath out on you. You said you would sacrifice yourself for them so they could go free. The wrath of God had to be satisfied for your sin and for my sin. We were guilty sinners before God. And Romans 3.23, 6 says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Jesus didn't come to judge the world. In fact, he said he didn't come to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. Why did he say that in John 3, 17? Because Jesus knew he would be the condemnation for us. He took the condemnation. In fact, he even says in, John, in John's gospel that those that don't believe in him are condemned already. Why? Because you're born condemned. Jesus came to save. The good news of the gospel is this. Not if you come to Jesus, he'll make you prosperous and rich. The good news of the gospel is this. You were already condemned. I'm giving you good news. You don't have to stay condemned because Jesus took your condemnation. He took your judgment. See, God's a just judge. Holy God the Father is a just judge. 
I heard an illustration. I believe it was Josh McDowell. I hope I have that right. But I heard a wonderful uh, way that he illustrated this truth, and hopefully I can get it correct. Uh, there, there was a, a town, a certain city in California that they just really were uh, not going to allow speeding to take place. It was just their thing. And they uh, had police officers there, and if you would speed, you would get pulled over. And they had 24-7 court. And what they would do is as soon as you would speed, they wouldn't just give you a ticket. They would arrest you, and they would take you, and you would stand before the judge. And uh, you would either be given a fine, I believe, I think it said $100, or you would spend the night in jail just for speeding. And so this young girl, she goes whipping through town, and she sees the lights that make all of her heart stop. (laughs) She pulls over, handcuff her, they take her, and she stands before the judge. And uh, the judge said, you know, uh, do you want to have a plea? And she said, "Uh, judge, I'm I'm guilty. And so the judge hit the gavel, and he slammed slammed the gavel down. He said, you're guilty, and you're fine. Is $100 if you don't have that, you spend the night in jail. She didn't have 100 bucks. And he said, in a very rare moment, the judge got up and he took off his robe. And he stepped away from his desk and he went down and he stood beside her and he opened the wallet and he paid the $100 fine. So she didn't have to. See, the judge was her father. And if he would have just let her go, what would we say? He's an unjust judge. But the judge satisfied the demand of the payment of the law. You know, that was the same thing that God the Father did for us. We were guilty. We were lost and undone. There was no way to redeem. And God the Father, up from his throne in the form of his son, because Jesus is God, made flesh came down and he took our place and he paid the price and he paid the penalty for our sin. And that is exactly what the cross is, that we were guilty sinners before God because we know the wages of sin is death and God is a holy, just God. And that nature, that justice, that redemption had to be met because he's just. The holy justice wrath of God was met in Jesus Christ, the son. See, when you understand that, you, you really get that revelation of, wow, I don't want to sin. You stop looking for ways, and you stop thinking that maybe sin isn't that bad of a deal. It is a bad deal. It caused Jesus, God, to come in the form of a man to come and to redeem us. And because Jesus did that, now God the Father, he can deal with us in love. See, Jesus paid the price to satisfy a holy, just Righteous God. Sin is truly sinful. But God loves us so much, he did something about it. He didn't leave us in our condition. That's what the good news is about. That's why Friday is called good. We deserved to be in the pit. We deserved to be flogged and whipped and beaten and mocked. We deserved the shame and the humiliation. They beat Jesus up so bad he couldn't even carry his cross. And they grabbed some man Simon, and he said, carry this cross. And he willingly got on that cross and let the Romans nail him there. Because to be honest with you, we're the ones that nailed him there. 
That's the power of the cross. And when he shed his blood, the sky turned black, an earthquake happened, tombs opened up. When Jesus cried out, it is finished and gave up his spirit. It was when he went and he descended below and he paid the ultimate price of eternal judgment so you and I could go free. So when I think of my salvation, I don't do it with a flippant attitude. I don't do it with, what's the big deal? No, it was a total big deal. It was Jesus giving everything, beaten, mocked, persecuted. There wasn't anything we'd go through. And, and yet the Bible says, and it's so simple, that if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, if we believe, if we believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, see, if Jesus wouldn't have died, there would be no redemption. If he didn't pour out his blood, but what happened when he did that, when he traded places with us? The Bible says in Corinthians that he became sin. He knew no sin, but he became sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of God in Christ, that through him that we have eternal life. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only son. I have three children. I couldn't imagine giving any of them to redeem anybody. But God willingly gave and Jesus willingly came. And so that's why we sing praise. That's why we sing worship. But that's also why we live so close to the, to the cross. Because if there's any sin that lives in me, I want Calvary's tree to come down on me. I want to live close to the cross. I want the cross to be my friend because I don't want to do anything and realize every time I sin that I, Jesus had to pay for that sin. See, there's power in the cross. There's power in the cross. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Teresa Verdecchio of New Destiny Christian Center. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, please visit us online at www.newdestinychristiancenter.com.